Welcome back to the Brace Yourselves podcast. It has been Spain without the S this week for me, sadly, <laughs> as my team do what everyone wanted them to and everything everything I hope they wouldn't and crash out the Champions League. I've got it out of the way early doors. It's happened. It's we'll painful. Yeah, that's it. It's that's emotional. It I was very, very angry on Wednesday night on Twitter, uh, on Tuesday night on Twitter. But, you know, that's just the way it is. Off to Thursday nights we go and hopefully, well, Ian, we were talking about potentially us having to play each other in the Europa League and now that's come to pass. So it may happen. Who knows? Right. So other than the pain, moving away from the pain, there is joy for both Ian and I this weekend because both our teams won our games, which is absolutely wonderful news. Is it joy or is it relief, seeing as you're now the comeback kings of the Premiership? Yeah, but look, I th- and you know what, briefly touching on the Champions League is a good example. Luck runs out. Sure. Luck does run out, right? And if you continue to come out that slowly, you will be punished eventually. There will be a, and we tried, we did try in the Champions League for the comeback. We got two goals in three minutes with 10 minutes to go. All we needed was a draw. But eventually, sometimes it just won't be enough. Luckily, yeah, against West Ham, it was. So, you know, no skin of far back. But, too, late, too late is always the motto there. Yeah, completely agree. And I've got plenty of stuff to speak about Paul Pogba and the issues with his agent and the, the mayhem they caused before that game. But we'll get to that when we speak to Manchester about the Man United stuff. So, initially, I think we have to fly off to Turf Moor and talk about boring Burnley <laughs> again sorry Burnley <laughs> I always think whenever I think of Burnley I always think of that scene in the Inbetweeners film have you seen it Ian when, he's, yeah. when they're on the bus and they're travelling uh, to their hotel and there's the Burnley fans in the back and they're like <laughs> Burnley 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 and then he's like do you know what I fucking hate Burnley <laughs> So whenever, I whenever, whenever I think of them, I just sit, I, I don't, I don't hate Burnley, but well, I just think of that little scene every single time. Honestly, I never thought of that scene. I thought you were going to be like, oh, that's the hotel they stay at. That's Burnley. No, <laughs> no, no, no. Analogy. No, I have to go back and rewatch, and then that'll be it forever. Everton's woes continue, Ian. Oh, they're just doing it to themselves at this point, right? It, the dream is officially dead. I know we laughed about it last week. The dream is dead. They're not winning yeah, the Premier League. Not, they're not, I'm not even convinced they're getting top four. At this rate? Not at all. Where are they? Well, they're sitting ninth, but what? They haven't... Yeah, it's just going down. From being top of the Premier League after the first five games to yeah. ninth. I mean, there is a more laughable team, and we will get to that team. Don't you bloody worry, because I need some Schadenfreude. I need some vicarious pleasure and slash misery so i will i will get to that point now this game for me was the battle of the two english goalkeepers who is the number one english goalkeeper who wants the number one spot more pope back in net for burnley pickford finding i know he conceded a goal as but so did pope but the goal was a bloody good goal by burnley and pickford other than that made some good saves again this game he did but my money's on pope I, th- I just think the freshness into the team, the energy he's going to bring, I think we've got too much Warriors, England fans, as to mm. what Pickford will do. And I think Pope gives you a lot more confidence. Like, it's consistency from him. And I think Pickford's pulled his game up in the last probably three games or so. He's kind of started to find his form, or at least his passion, and his willingness to go after the ball and make the saves that he needs to. But like you say, incredible performances from both that sealed that game to a draw you know both with late saves that 
yeah, completely changed the result. I mean, in like hindsight, I think we probably probably are being too damning about Everton because in reality, they created loads of chances. Just Nick Pope didn't let them score. That, yeah. that that is just the God's honest truth on it. I think you're right. I think Nick Pope is the right uh, England goalkeeper to go forward. Completely agree with that, Ian. However, the England team is rife with nepotism, and I feel that because Pickford saved that crucial penalty against Colombia and lifted yeah. years and years of weight of frustration off Southgate's shoulder, who missed a penalty himself in the 90s to cost England to, quali- to go through to a final, I think he will always pick Pickford because he, he is grateful to him for making that save. It yeah, will always be that you were... And do you know what? I can, I, I can see where Gareth's coming from because I will always love Jordan Pickford for giving us our first ever penalty shootout win at a World Cup because it was him that got it for us. Yeah, it's, it's all down to him. And, I, and like we always find with an England manager is obviously they bring their team in, they form their team and everyone hates that team to begin with and then they love it and then they hate it once more. And I think this is that Southgate's team. I can't see him making that many changes to the lineups that we've seen in the World Cup and the Euros. It's just eat, sleep, rave, repeat. I completely agree. Exactly. But other than that, I mean, look, the game was fairly end-to-end it wasn't like I put bore but boring because yeah. I could have predicted the result result I mean I did I don't think we either of us did because we continually back Everton and they continually let us down why, well I mean it's, it's purely because you know Calvert-Lewin's going to deliver like if anyone's got him in a fantasy team oh I, I have you know? I have <laughs> Of course I have, because the man will always get a goal. And you know what? We spoke, we've done a spray showcase on Calvert-Lewin now. We've spoken about his profile. He has that. He doesn't have the flair. He doesn't have like the, I'm going to take a finesse shot from 30 yards out and bend it into the top corner. I'm going to score a rocket from 30 yards out. He can, he's just clinical. He just taps him in. He's there. You know, that, that, the goal he scored in this game is what you expect out of your bog standard number nine. And he does it perfectly. So if anyone... Yep, Calvert-Lewin, I know you like Everton, I know you've been there a long time, but if there's anyone that's looking for a striker in the Premier League, a clinical tap-in numbers striker, because that's what he is, he's going to be a numbers striker, buy him. Just buy him. Yeah, because he's Everton, he's 20, 22, they won't say no. I know they said no to Richarlison, but whatever, they won't, they won't say no. They'll take the money because yeah. the, the reality is, is, I was thinking about this earlier, actually, Ian, and I would like your thoughts on it. Ancelotti, hmm. what is an unacceptable finish for the amount of money they spent in the window? As in, what would get Ancelotti sacked? Because I think he's got the grace of being an elite manager, but some results or some position finishing or whatever will not be acceptable. If they well, finish like, seventh again, yeah, is that like, well, we've made no improvement, you've spent millions of pounds and we're back to, you know, Square one, effectively. Yeah, I guess. Well, I, was guess I was gonna say bare minimum is six, is six and above, right? Like that's that's as because you've got to improve season after season. That's mm. the point of this. Like, if you have a bad season, fair enough. But at this point, it should be season after season improvements. So realistically, I would say anything below six, then that's probably shut the doors on him, say goodbye. But and that's at like the lowest level. He sh- mm. realistically fourth, contesting for third. The thing is, I think they have to get European football, don't they? That that's yeah, that, that's the only option. It's at that level now. Yeah, they've got quality players in there. They've got Hamas Rodriguez. They've got Allen. You know, they've got Calvert Lewin. They've got Richarlison. They've got a good team on paper. You know, 
obviously they're doing better than Arsenal, and and I. But the thing is, I would I I, I cite Arsenal not to be, uh, you know, turning the needle or the the knife in the wound or whatever yeah. the analogy I've misused there is, but it's because Arsenal have better quality players than Everton. So it does come down to mentality. And I think obviously there's a mentality issue at Arsenal and at Everton because what happened was Everton lost one game and they've completely capitulated. And Ancelotti needs to be that elite manager and go, well, hang on, one loss does not define a season. It's 38 games. I think, and there's a strangeness to it because I don't think there's passion lost in the players. I think there's passion lost in the team as like a cohesive unit because the players are still trying. Like the ball that Calvert-Lewin gets on the end of, classic Calvert-Lewin move, just throwing himself. Even Richardson's cross for the goal is a standard. Like it's passionate play to get to that point. Mm. But them as a team aren't sinking. Like even, you know, uh, Rodriguez's passes and all that, they're clinical, perfect, but there's never really anyone on the end of it. He's putting into the space that it needs to be. I think Hamez has dropped off as a lot of people assumed he was going to. Yeah. So I'm not I'm not surprised. Yeah. Uh, he's had hot and cold flashes. He might as well be going through menopause. That's how hot and cold he's been in his entire career. But nevertheless, we all anticipated it. What I would say is I just think they have no faith in their defensive line. That's the real issue here because goals will come if you've got the assurance that you think well we've got quality center backs and right backs which are going to do everything they can they won't stop everything but they can do everything they can to support the team at the moment they're being let down by michael Keane, yerry mean and she- oh well shames commons out you know they bought godfrey in overrated in my opinion waste of money probably they need yeah. an elite center back but, but then they're not the only team doing this in the Premiership, being let down by the you know defensive line. Again, oh, you don't have team. to tell me, Ian. You don't have, have to know. tell me. <laughs> I was good. well, I had to draw it and I had to bring it out. But Leeds, Man United, like there is this, and we were saying it since day one when we were having the crazy scores of four three per game. It was this attacking mentality, and I think Everton are still trying to stick to that, but they haven't got the clinicalness to finish and the passion to finish that off. And they're now in the same pot that Leeds are, where it's like. What is our game plan now? How do we keep this alive and how do we keep this going with this attacking kind of football? I agree. And obviously, Burnley scored early doors, which put tremendous pressure on Everton to get back into the game. It's difficult at um, Turf War because, as we've said in the past, Burnley are the masters of the 1-0 shithouse victory, although they seem to have lost that magic a little bit this season, considering I I think they they only have one Premier League win at the moment, so it's not, not been a fantastic season, start to the season for them. However... Conversely, let's talk about a sterling performance, Ian, (laughs) which was Manchester City against Fulham. Now, I say sterling only because Raheem finally turned up, not because Man City looked particularly good. I don't think they looked great. I think they were incredibly wasteful. But one thing when I was watching the recap of the game, the goals, the post-match, everything, do you know what looks wrong at City? It's not their ability on the ball. It's not their opportunity creation it's not their their willingness to play it's the body language the body language is so negative they all look pissed off they all look frustrated Kevin De Bruyne missed like four sitters in this game yeah and last season people were like Kevin De Bruyne is the best midfielder in the entire world and I'm very much of that opinion as well but there's I'm not saying there's something wrong I'm not saying he wants to go but there's just a there's clearly I think there's a mentality issue there I think 
we know how prolific Raheem Sterling has been at City over the time that he's been there, right? He's amassed a huge amount of goals. Yeah. He's been incredibly successful and he's got the plaudits on a domestic level, not an international level because he's woeful internationally, but on a domestic level, everyone's gone, do you know what, Raheem Sterling, fair enough, you proved everyone wrong. Sure. You're, you're a great team player. You get goals, you get assists. However, yesterday, the commentator, well, sorry, not yesterday, I always do that. <laughs> on the weekend, Sterling hadn't scored for seven games in a Man City shirt, which is a, which is a long time for him not to You're score. You're telling me. I always back him in fantasy league because I know he gets points. Mm. Seven absent weeks, chuck him out, instantly gets a goal. And you're just like, he's that player. He's the one where you're like, he's going to do bits, he's going to do bits, doesn't do anything, like find him over it, and then he just reappears. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an infuriating sort of, especially from an England point of view, it's just infuriating to see that he does it that way. Oh, 100%. But... You know, I, I understand some some players play better for their clubs than they do their country. That does happen. However, the thing with City is this scoreline is not reflective of what it could have been. Fulham weren't in this game. No, this is this was for me. This was a repeat of last week, a game they should have won and easily have won, but they're not showing that City spark. You know, back in uh, kickoff, you know, the friendly games where they were smashing teams seven nil from. Turkey or whatever, it's like, where's that against Fulham? That should still be your sh- goal. That should be your aim. Mm. There's no point of like holding back when you're at 2 0. It's not like you're playing. Maybe he is. I don't know if Man City are trying to, you know, play intelligently and trying to like reserve players and like save for games or whatever, but they should still be going out there with flair and comfortability and passing the ball around and having fun. And it doesn't look like any of that, like you're saying. It's, there's a it looks run of the mill. It doesn't look like they're enjoying their football. They look like it's robotic. And uh, for, mm. for a long time, they were praised for that. People like, they're so robotic. They never make mistakes. They're so clinical. But I think it takes its toll. And I think, you know, every machine needs new oil. Every machine needs a WD-40. You know, that, they need maintenance. And yeah. no, no footballer is truly a machine. We are, they are all susceptible to human wants, desires, emotions, failings, regrets, pressure, stress, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And I just think maybe it's just a little bit of complacency. After years of success, you assume you're the best or you yeah. are at least in that the conversation. And I think they're in coast mode. I think they're just coasting there. We can get a result here. We can get a result there. This might be controversial, Ian, but because United crashed out of the Champions League, I fully expect us to beat City this weekend because that's just the way Man United are. Indeed, but I mean, this is, this was going to say, this is a testing point for me. It's actually a team that is going to be competitive and proving that one goal doesn't matter to them. Two goals doesn't matter to them. And I think, but like we were saying about the Spurs-Arsenal uh, game in the previous podcast, it is an isolated incident. You know, you've got to is, move yeah. everything when it comes to a derby and just go, right, that's all it is. It's these two teams on the pitch, you know, 90 minutes. What's going to happen? But I think you are right in the fact that you probably are going to bring it back. And Because if we don't, if we don't beat City, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is sacked. That is just the yeah. reality. He has to beat City because... The idiots at United who think they understand football at the top level, at the top of the club, think, oh, well, we're in a title race because we're only like three points off the top of the game in hand. No, we're not in a fucking title race. Not with that defensive line, we're not. doesn't matter. Consistency is king, right? And then we've bled slightly over to United, but we'll we'll go back to City and I'll just say, uninspired, I still don't think Man's... Everyone's like, oh, City's got a couple of results together. City might win the league. I don't think so. 
I, 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 I backed them to win the league at the start of the season to bite back, to slap back at Liverpool and say, how dare you take the Premier League away from us last season? I'm Guardiola. I'm one of the best managers in football today. No, I, I think obviously Pep, as we've said before, has had a lot of stuff going on in his personal life, which I completely understand. It's very, very taxing and it's had its toll. But I don't know. They just don't have that focal point striker. And if you come up against good defensive units... It's going to, you're going to struggle to break them down. I think they have struggled to break people down that defend well. And, oh, well, that bodes well for them against yeah, us this I weekend, mean, then. And I think, oddly, you know, I think this is going to be a season where, while points are very important, the goal difference is just going to be as important because I think it's going to be so close and so tight. And, like, you know, the look, look at Newcastle um, this weekend, you know, COVID has struck them and they may not be playing for another two weeks. You've got to think about how many games in hand people are going to have and how much they're going to sort of be back in on goals to really move up the table. Bridging off that COVID thing, there was claims from Villa that they wanted three points. Yeah, which is bizarre. I don't think... Look, in a, I would understand in any other kind of season that would be acceptable. But we're talking about a 2020-21 season where the world is just up in the air. And we've got to be genuine people about it. I don't think you'd be trying to claim those points. Everyone, if, I think if Newcastle have to cancel a second game against Villa, maybe that's when we start discussing those kind of things. But everyone needs a chance. Everyone should be out there playing. And it's for the safety of the players, which is what we constantly talk about. That should be the priority, not your points on the board, not the goals scored. Because at the end of the day, that's coming from higher-ups, believe you me. You know, it's not the players going, oh, we'll just take the three points. The players want to go out there and prove themselves that they can beat Newcastle. That they can yeah. beat any team. They want to play week in, week out. Why do you think they train every day, you know? They want to be out there playing. So that's higher up, just trying to get a few easy points and sort of move the games along. Keep, you know, their schedules, keep their game times, keep the times they've bought, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I, I think that's a strange call from Villa, but it definitely feels like a, a money call rather than the players wanting to do something. United. I won't be going on an epic rant about the game or what we did. Or anything like that. There's a couple of things that I need to say about United to get off my chest, really. Yeah. However, you know, it was a good result for us. West Ham have been a tricky team, especially to those when they're the underdogs. They started very well in the first half. West Ham were all over us, and it could have very easily been 3 0 at half time. I knew that we conceded off a corner because of <coughs> zonal marking again. Thank you for that. Man United coaching team. Suchek is a utility player for West Ham. He pops up, he gets goals. He's probably a very good CDM centre mid for anyone who is looking for someone who can add goals and defensive prowess to their team. Declan Rice is very good, control the midfield. I'm very grateful that Antonio could not play because I think the scoreline could have been very, very different. Very different and Jared yeah. Bowen is on fire at the moment, or at least on a attacking basis uh, a chance creation basis he's incredibly on form mm. now united are a tale of uh, tale, uh, a city of two halves it's, it's absolutely ridiculous i never gave up hope because of the way that we came back against southampton i was like well we could do it again one nil down at the break he makes a couple of changes he gets the team selection wrong again but i'm not surprised it is what it is the, obviously the contentious issue is whether the ball went out on Paul Pogba's goal. Yeah. The problem is, right, with VAR, effectively, this decision is a tricky one. And I understand why people, West, especially West Ham fans are annoyed. I can understand why it looks like it might have gone off the pitch. What is your barometer to check that? How are you checking that? 
you don't have you haven't designed systems to check that that's the first yeah. of its kind incident that you tried to check on var and the the match officials at Sotley Park have gone we can't rule that out because we can't 100 percent say it's out yeah purely on the camera angle they choose as well to review it on so this they're trying on an to angle slant i'm just they don't have any touchline camera, do they? I mean, that's quite a touchline, but they don't have any of those cameras, so they can't tell it. And I mean, the fact that, but the fact that the assistant referees have such faith in the VAR system, they're not watching where that ball goes anymore. They're not considering it. They're just like, oh, if it goes clearly off the pitch, it's clear. They're not because the, he's not. He's running down the other end of the field as the ball's curling over the top. His eyes should be up, tracking that ball. He should know where his line is and he should be able to tell. Oh, yeah, it's completely the linesman's responsibility. And if he's not watching the ball, on its head is B. You're paid yeah. to be a professional linesman. You need to watch the ball at all time and not assume just because a goalkeeper's hoofed it up that it didn't go out. But there is also a beauty in football. And I simply said to my partner at the time, they can't rule it out because it's too nice of a goal. The goal is outrageous. They're not going to rule it out because... They're not going to roll it out because it's so contentious the decision. They're just going to let it stand because the goal is absolutely stunning. It is. And this is something I want to talk about in terms of Man United's two comebacks that we've seen recently. Like, I think that goal and the way it scored is so important because Pogba hasn't been seen for decades. And then yeah. all of a sudden, boom, he's on the ball. Beautiful strike. Yeah, and you're yeah, yeah. amped. And the same when Cavani came on because Cavani was just like, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. And he's getting the goal. And you're like, just keep feeding it to him. And I think it's the way that you're scoring those goals is what's driving it. I don't think, like, if it was a tap-in, if it was, like, a messy header in the box, I don't think you'd have been as amped and gone to three. You may have held out two, but when Pogba steps up and delivers one of those... It could have been more. It could have been more than three. Rashford rattled the post as well. The thing is, is that it was a misery compiler, right? Pogba scores that outrageous strike, and it is a great goal. Bruno Fernandes didn't start, which was almost criminal to me. Sure. Neither did Rashford. Both come on, instantly changed the game in the second half because of their creative uh, prowess and their sp and their pace. Not so much Bruno's pace, but Rashford's pace in particular ruins the West Ham back line. Yeah. Now, yes, I agree. There is a catalytic, emphatic quality to Pogba's goal, and there was to um, Cavani's influence on the game last time, and it definitely did spark something in United. But I tell you, Mason Greenwood's goal. That touch is one of the filthiest things I've ever seen in my entire life. I don't know if he meant it, but if he did, the way the way he swiveled onto that ball afterwards, I was like, I think you meant that touch, and that touch is absolutely criminal. I mean, Someone should lock you away for that, you dirty bastard. That's how filthy it was. Second weekend to December, and I think you may have been two options for goal of the season. Not goal I know. of the season, right there. And then obviously Rashford scores the chip as well. West Ham completely capitulate, try and get back into the game. And look, football goes this way sometimes. Moyes used to be our manager. Sometimes he'll beat us and he'll love life. Other times he'll be furious. And he, I'm, I'm sure even now in, in the Moyes family ho household, wherever that may be, whatever the circumstances that are, he's probably still talking about how that ball went out. He's probably, yeah. he's probably sitting at his dinner table going, it went out. It went out. They shouldn't have had that first goal. And if they didn't get the first goal... United wouldn't have come back, yeah, so on and so forth. These things happen. You've got to move on from them. Hey, were we I, a little bit lucky? Yes, but guess yeah. what? We were really, really unlucky midweek, and we got knocked out of the Champions League. There is an ebb and flow, a karmatic judge, uh, justice yeah. to football. It, what goes around comes around. We nick three points off West Ham, we get knocked out of the Champions League. doesn't seem fair to me, but that's the universe's reward for me. So thank you very that's much. That's what you've got to live with, my man. The only, the only other thing I want to speak about 
in terms of United is just before the Leipzig game, the day before, in fact, Paul Pogba's agent came out and said, uh, Man, uh, Paul's time at uh, Man United is over. Paul is not going to be a Manchester United player. Uh, we're looking for a January move, yada, yada, yada. Now, there's a lot of like pro-Bruno, pro-Pogba, team Bruno, team Pogba in the uh, United fan base, which is wrong. We should love players as a unit and criticise players as a unit fairly objectively. Doesn't happen. So all the Pogba fanboys coming out saying, well, he didn't say it, his agent said it. But anyone who knows, the very definition of agent is they represent you, they speak on your behalf, they are your agency. He okayed Amina Riola to say that before the Leipzig game. And the general consensus is from the media, from the United fan base, from the United faithful, and most other fans, that that was put out there to try and ensure that we got knocked out of the Champions League by sowing discontent in the team so that we would go and lose so that Pogba could get a cheap move in January. Here's, right. here's, here's my two cents on Paul Pogba. Fantastically talented player when he can be bothered when he wants to play well. Oh, yeah. And he wanted to shut the West Ham fans up on, on that, in that game. That's what that was about. He didn't do it for the badge. He didn't do it because he loves the club. It's about his own ego. He wanted to shut the West Ham fans up because he knows when he, when he wants to, he has the ability. If he played like that every week, he would be a club legend here. He would win us games on his own, but he doesn't because he can be lazy, lethargic and apathetic when he wants to and very self-aggrandizing and self-serving. Mm. I rate Paul Pogba as a player. I think he has got it all on his day. He's physical, he's fast. His dribbling ability for a man his size is absolutely outrageous. He can dominate a midfield. When he starts sprinting, he is lethal. He's like a gazelle. He cannot yeah. be stopped. But you have disrespected the club like no other player I can remember so candidly doing it Roy Keane was another one sold Beckham got too big for his boots sold Cantona got too big for his boots sold because Ferguson always used to say no one player is bigger than the club yeah. Paul Pogba has been thinking he's bigger than the club since he fucking arrived in January he had two options Man United and I mean this he has said this. He's let this come out. He said it publicly. This is what he wants. He wants to go. You either sell him, but you sell it on your terms. Yeah. What you want for him, that is what they pay. If they can't pay it, they can't have him. Or you swap him for a player that you want and they don't want to get rid of. Don't be swapping him for a rotation player, a substitute player, a prospect. You've got to, yeah, you've got sure. to swap him like for like. If you swap him for a centre mid, the centre mid that's coming in has got to have at least world-class potential, elite potential. The other thing is, if you don't want to sell him, and if he's really, really pissed you off, put him in the fucking reserves make him see out the rest of his contract like they do to Ozil at Arsenal and he can shut his fucking mouth and stay in the reserves because that is your punishment. You can't reward player for bad behaviour like that because what it does, it, it, all he's saying to the dressing room, all Paul Pogba is saying to the dressing room is I'm the fucking king here. I decide what goes. And what does that do? It goes to the other players. It goes, you can do what you want. You don't have to listen to the manager. You don't have to listen to the club. You can be bigger than the club if you want to be. No, immediately has to be stamped out. Yeah. And the fact that Oli Gunnar Solskjaer brought him on, I know he scored when he came on against Leipzig the other night, is a disgrace. He should not have been in that team. He should not be rewarded for mugging Oli off, 
mugging the club off and then being, uh, oh, well, come on, Pogba, come on and save us, save us, please. Joke. Absolute fucking shambles, that is. Not what you want to see in a team at all. And I mean, yeah. And you've got young players at Man United as well. You don't want that kind of infectious nature being around them. Well, you can already see it in Mason Greenwood. You can already see it. So let's stamp it out. Yeah, we used to see it in Rashford, and Rashford's kind of getting past it a little bit. Because he used to be like, oh, make a run, doesn't work, would sit down, basically. But now it's all coming together a bit more. But yeah, bringing you... See, because when you initially were saying that, it sounded more like a threat. Like, you know, Pogba wanted the playtime. And I think maybe that's how Ollie's read it. But yeah, definitely disrespecting your club. You can't uh, do that. You can't say. You can't try and force a January move and expect the club to, to play ball with you. You're a record signing. He's trying yeah. to go to Juventus. He wants to go back to Juventus, effectively, because Real Madrid can't afford to buy him. Well... Lo and behold, what did Juventus have to disclose yesterday? They can't buy anyone unless they sell because they've got no money because of COVID. Well, great. So here's your options, Juventus. If you want Paul Pogba, we'll have Cristiano Ronaldo, or you can stick it up your fucking ass. (laughs) Sorry. That's that's the way it be. That'll be a return for the the numbers for sure. That'll be epic. That is the way it be. Sorry. The thing is, United were sure in the summer we were going to get Sancho because of COVID, because of limitations of COVID, we would get him cheap. We didn't. So, sorry, any other club who wants to buy players cheap can 2-1 do one because we didn't get our cheap player, so why the hell should you get yours? That's the way it goes, man. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Anyway, moving on from Manchester United, three points. Man United have gone from 15th to 6th in absolute... It's a huge leap. You know, we knew it would happen if, with our game in hand. I think we're one point behind Liverpool. If we win our game in hand, it's not really. We were talking about a bad start to the season. It's been an okay one so far. Let's see if we can maintain it. That's a bit worse. What it's about maintaining. But talking about another team that's starting to build form in the Premier League and almost seeming like a. I always use the analogy of a steam train because once you start throwing the coal on the fire, it doesn't stop. It keeps going and going and going. And that's Chelsea right now. They just keep yeah, chugging, no, chugging, 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 chugging away. It's, it's, it's getting a, it is getting a little bit scary, I will admit. I watched the, I actually watched this match and I was delightful. I was, I was delight, delight, I am delightful. I was <laughs> delighted that the boy Bamford scored oh, against indeed, Chelsea. Oh, of course. We'd love to see it. And it was a great goal. And Mendy showed some of his inexperience as a keeper. I was like, don't come out. What are you doing? Immediately rushed off his line and Bamford scored. Then again, Chelsea do what they do best. They go, 1 0. Indeed. The pressure, the pressure, the pressure. Yeah, I think this was one of the biggest showings for Chelsea. We've seen them just smash team after team so far in this league, you know, keeping clean sheets and finishing teams off. But, you know, this was Leeds coming at them and Leeds came at them hard. Like the amount of opportunities they had, I mean, it's just Leeds in general. They just can't seem to hit the target. They love the woodwork but they don't seem to like the back of the net that much. But they kept going for them, and Chelsea welcoming it almost, and just letting them run themselves out, because they know where leads have come from, and they know they can take it. And Chelsea then just moved back up the field, constantly making chances and just sapping it up. I mean, something that I'm watching Spurs do so well as well is just sapping up this uh, pressure and going, cool, you know, water off a duck's back, we'll move up the other end, finish you guys off. Calm as anything. And like you're saying, they're just at this point where they just keep moving. doesn't matter if they go goal down. doesn't matter if, you know, two go in. They're just going to keep going. And it's become impressive now. 
it is becoming impressive. It's becoming concerning for me because I don't really want to see Chelsea win the Premier League. But I think there is a chance there, at least in the day. Well, there's not a chance. They are in the title race, yeah, completely in the title race. And they deserve to be for the way they've played. There's, there's a couple of things I want to talk about with the Chelsea team. One, defensively, it did look a little bit weak this game. I think Leeds did carve open plenty of opportunities, just weren't clinical enough to take them. But maybe they knew that would be the case of Leeds because it's it's a lot of heart and not necessarily quality, whereas Chelsea have plenty of quality. Olivier Giroud is having like a renaissance right now. He's having a... I've put awfully Giroud because he scored four goals in the Champions League and then you know, scored scored the tie-turning goal Sure. there. Now, it might not be awfully Giroud for Chelsea fans, but it was for me because I was like, oh, I want Leeds to win this game or at least a draw. I don't score in the 20th minute. I have to talk about how wasteful Timo Werner is again. Wasteful Werner. If, how would you feel if you were managing that team? You're 1-0 down and your star striker clears that ball off the line. And fails on the rebound as well. And fails on the rebound. I would be like, get off. I'd have sucked him off. Yeah, the, comment, the commentators scorched him. They're like, that's probably the miss of the Premier League. And they're not wrong. Like, he's stopped it and then whacks it against the crossbar. That's yeah. just, like, oh, that yeah, for me is just absolutely horrific and maybe a testament to it happens it starts to happen with strikers when yeah. they don't get goals they start to steal goals or nick goals or he wanted a tap he wanted to tap that in on the line and claim it's his yeah that's the reality because he wants his numbers to look slightly better because they spent a lot of money on him there's a lot of hype about him but like I said, countless times before, he's a striker that needs a lot of opportunities to score. Now, he will score a worldie. It will be like, miss, 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 worldie. Miss, 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 worldie. Miss, 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 good goal, good goal. Miss, miss, miss. That, that's the way he'll be because of the way that he plays. And I guess the same criticism could be pointed at Sadio Mane because I think Mane takes a lot of opportunities to score. But when he does, usually they're a good goal or they're an easy goal. But... Chelsea don't need that right now. They need everyone firing on all cylinders. Exactly. They, they need someone like Kane, Salah, Calvert-Lewin, someone who's just constantly there, constantly making these opportunities. And is that person on the back post who's going to poke it in when it's mm. needed? If it's going in, they're going to leave it. They're not that greedy because they're there constantly putting the ball in, getting a foot in, getting a shin on it, knee, whatever. Whatever to put it in the back of the net, that's what those players are doing. And that is what Chelsea needs if... When it comes to the bigger games, I think, like especially like if they turned up in that form against Spurs and had a player akin to Kane or Calvin Lewin who would just be sitting there ready to poach on anything, different story. I would wholeheartedly say it'd be a different story. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. But other than that, you know, nothing but mad respect for yeah. Chelsea. Really frustrating respect that I have to give it to them. But they they played incredibly well. Zuma looks like he's revitalised under Thiago Silva. He oh, scored he more great. goals than he's ever scored in the Premier League in one season or his most prolific, which is not often a word that is associated with a defender in the Premier League. And um, Pulisic finally managed to get himself on the score sheet again. There was a lot of hype about Pulisic last season and it's not really come to fruition yet. No, not but, quite. The real concerning thing is Leeds show how they can be beat because, one, their game management was poor. They started, it was 2-1, they just needed a goal. They threw themselves 
threw themselves at Chelsea and that's what caused caused the third goal effectively. They also were so wasteful. They need to work on taking their chances. They had so many chances and they just skied them, hit the bar, missed the, you know, shot it straight at the keeper and it's like, Leaves, just get it in. Bamford can be clinical every now and then, but he's not consistently cl clinical. One little personal anecdote I have to speak about this game is I got into a bit of a debate with a Chelsea fan on Facebook about this game, mainly because this Chelsea fan in particular only ever really tweets about Chelsea when they win. I never hear anything from him when they lose, which is often the case in the modern football fan. The weather is fair, but you know, I'm not one of those guys. So if you want to catch me at I am Cooper 92 on Twitter, you'll see my pain live in real time for your sick pleasure because it is very much there when we lost to Leipzig I did about five different tweets all about me crying about how we went out the Champions League and then other times I'll be touching myself inappropriately to a goal that Paul Pogba scored not for not not it's not an only fans it's, it's, it's a Twitter but you know you sure it's yes, I'm, I'm sure continues. but so Ian uh, Riverda came on for Leeds and he should have had a penalty, in my opinion. He won the ball in the box. Chilwell tried to get the ball, didn't, hit Raveda, but Raveda stayed on his feet. We've spoken about this not being rewarded appropriately by the Premier League and it's causing a systemic issue about diving on this podcast. But this Chelsea fan said, oh, he said, fair play for Raveda to stay on his feet. And I was like, I don't think we should be rewarding players for staying on their feet or applauding players for oh. staying on their feet when... If it was the other way around, you'd be screaming at a Chelsea player to go down there. So just because you've won, you want to go, oh, fair play, fair play. Yeah. No, that, that is the... And I said, this is the problem with the modern game, is that it's fickle as hell. You want to applaud him, but if he'd gone down, you'd be condemning him. If it was a Chelsea player and he stayed in his feet, you'd be like, you idiot, go down, go down, there's contact, there's contact. I don't like turncoats in the sport. I stick by my guns. I don't like certain players, not because of who they are, but because of what I've seen on the pitch for them. I yeah. don't like certain clubs because of rivalries, because that's the way that football is. However, I will say that Mo Salah is a fantastic footballer. I will say that Mane is a fantastic footballer and De Bruyne, even though I don't like them because they play for my rivals. And I will say if I think United had a jammy penalty decision. One in particular stands out to me last season, Villa we should not have had a penalty. Bruno steps on the player and they've given a penalty to us. I don't know how it's happened, but we got it. Yes, I'm grateful for it, but I'm not going to go, oh, because yeah. it's part of the modern sickness in football. And I think there is a sickness in the game. And obviously, branching off from that, Ian, we have to talk about Millwall because that is fucking disgusting what like, they did. Come on. You're allowed back into the stadium for the first time in months and that's how you're going to treat the players who are doing something right and you can't even stand there and say it's not a thing because look at the champions league this week look at it look at what's happening look at the psg game the amount of respect for the psg players and the, was it shaka who who they were against uh they, no they were against istanbul istanbul incredible respect to them all off the pitch agreed it's clear and it's evident in this game as it is clear and evident in the world right it's it, a you know night. It's, it's, it's disgusting. And again, the Millwall fans, you are considered to be the first X amount that are deemed back in. 
And what you do with your long-awaited time to get back in is to boo the Black Lives Matters movement. You're fucking disgusting, Millwall. All of you are. And they come out and they say, oh, it's not about racism. It's about the way it's changing the game. Shut your fucking mouths. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to be so, so, I'm so annoyed. That's why I'm swearing so much because it is so bloody frustrating because they have players who are black. And those players have all now pretty much said they want to leave the club because of that. You can't be selectively racist. You can't go, well, I'm okay with that person because they're on my football team, but every other time you want to do it, boo, no. It's how, morally repugnant is what it is. They do. And, they, and they have no grounds in this, that it's changing the game. It's just bullshit. Like it's not doing anything. It's a minutes of silence. If that was someone who had passed away, whatever, you'd be there with them. But because it's something you don't fundamentally agree with, you're against it. Stop saying it's about the game. This is way more important. This is bigger than the game itself. This is for everyone. The people who are unseen and the people who have had to deal with it for years in the game prior as well. That is what well, this is about. This is, this is the thing. It's funny that we've sort of branched off this from the Chelsea discussion because they were at the forefront of like a race, racial incident uh, last season, which is before all this, before fans were not, you know, banned from stadiums, they weren't allowed in. The Chelsea fans were screaming racial slurs at Raheem Sterling. And it's like, guys, I'm sorry if you didn't realise, if you are blind, half your team are black. What the fuck? How... This selective mentality is more toxic. And we have a mutual friend. I won't name him on this podcast, but I essentially asked him one time, I said, would you rather someone be out and out racist and own it? Or would you rather them be selectively racist? Which one do you find more insidious? And he said, selective racism is always more trying for him than out and out racism. Because you can condemn someone who is an out and out racist and know that they are 100% a piece of shit. And sorry, you are. If you listen to this podcast and you think we're right wing, we're accepting of that ideology. You're wrong. I don't tolerate injustice. I don't, I don't tolerate persecution. We all like a little bit of an edgy joke, but nothing that truly offends someone. Selective racism is the most conflicting, self-serving shit in the world. It's the worst. I used to have a partner, Ian, who would be like, oh, um, the guys at the Chinese takeaway down the road are fine, but the rest, no. I'd be like, what the fuck are you talking about? Because they make your food. How trivialising is that? You think they're your servant? Oh, just, oh my God. It's anyway, I, I, I digress. The, uh, the match officials in Istanbul, that is even worse, in my mm. opinion, because that's someone who's supposed to be paid objectively to see the game singularly and use the professional terminology that they're taught. Not to refer to player, because he referred to him, he said, it's that X, whatever he said. Well, yeah, and then... Um... Someone stepped in. Well, they were basically, the big referral was the fact that they were calling out the player based on his skin colour. He, he used a more derogatory term, but he said the black player, it was him. You would never, the, the, you know, the contention is you would never go, oh, it's the white player. That just doesn't exist. It doesn't happen. It's never said. They don't use that model. They're not supposed to use that model. You know what yeah. model FIFA designed to try and circumvent that entire thing? You say the number. Why is it on the back of their shirts? You say it's number nine. Oh, it was number nine that made the exactly. foul. Why do you not know the game? Like, you're, you're, this is your profession. You should know players on the field so that you can report to refs and you should know everyone's numbers. That, it's just, it's just not acceptable. There's no reason it should ever happen. There's no reason. I completely agree. It's a travesty and, you know, 
even though I'm annoyed we didn't qualify from the Champions League group, mad respect to PSG and Istanbul for standing in solidarity against that because it, it can't stand. There are players from every walk of life in every individual team. We have Chinese players, we have Japanese players, we have African players, we have Russian players. If they can all get on with each other in a, in a 25-man squad, you as fans need to start respecting that and see, well, hang on. Some of my most prolific players that have played for this club are X, Y, and Z, whatever they may be, but they are still players at the end of the day. They're football players first. They're not defined by their origins and you shouldn't persecute them for it either. And not, not that they have to be defined by anything other than their ability on the pitch. If they're shit, it's shit because they're crap, not because of anything else. And I think and every club needs to recognise that they're at fault here. No one is free from this. Like, And I'm, as a Spurs fan, a standing example based on the nickname of my club. We can't be going there anymore. That can't be the chant. It's stuff like that just needs to be eradicated. And what, don't call it history. Don't call it part of it. No, just piss off. Get no, I know. I know. And to be honest, I will say, we won't say it on this podcast, but I haven't heard that no, I think self-entitled thing for a while. Mm. I, ha- I haven't heard that for a while, I think that reference. Been, I think obviously it's still bantered around in the Spurs circle, but I definitely think it's been removed from the grounds. Racism is bad, people, okay? And it shouldn't be in the game. There's no yeah. room for racism. And every time I see a little bastard on FIFA, which puts their team name as room for racism, you can count on this any listeners, I'm going to beat that motherfucker. I will sweat it out. I will crush them. And then I will message them and say, well, there was room for you to lose. There's room for you to put your fucking intolerance in the bin, you piece of crap. And do you know what? The real issue is I see that a lot. I see that a lot on FIFA. And that's a separate issue. I see people with EDL as their team names. It's a fucking disgrace. The game is not we don't have room for it. I'm sorry. I, I just, it's, I'm really pissed off about it. I was pissed off about it this weekend. Millwall, you have a bad reputation as a club anyway. You have an awful reputation for hooganism in the past. Why do you have to keep perpetuating the cycle? Learn to be tolerant. You live in a the stadium is based in a diverse hub in the United Kingdom. Lots of your players have been ethnic minorities. You need to do fucking better. It just, oh my fucking God. Sorry, I'm sorry. I just it no, pissed no, me. It really... I, I know where you come from. I know you. That's where we're at. We're in a space where this, except you know, where we can talk about this stuff. It just fucking grinds, really it grinds my gears. It's just absolutely pointless and not needed in the game that is meant for everyone. The game that does allow us to go all around the world. The game that does allow for so many cultures to come together, unified under one sport and one event. It's incredible. This game. And shit like that doesn't need to be in it. It doesn't need to exist. Well, look at Russia. Look at Russia at the Euros, right? Nearly had to be sent home because of it. Mm. Right? And then they got absolutely walloped by their own government. So when, we, when they hosted the World Cup, everyone was nice and doing dandy. But, but players have had bananas thrown at them, racial slurs at them, monkey noises at them. It's not fucking right. It's yeah. disgusting. And we've, seen it. And we've seen it for years. We've seen all kinds of people dealing with it. We've seen Sterling playing on with it and, you know, scoring a goal to shut people up, all that kind of stuff. It doesn't need to be happening that way. How oh, they who do we play? Who do we? Bulgaria. Yeah. Bulgaria. And they were racist to our players. Mm-hmm. I, think, I, think, I think the unifying of teams and of the management teams is so much better now. The fact that both PSG and Istanbul made the decision to leave the pitch, incredible. 
individual national uh, national officiating boards or whatever that that turkish uh, officiator needs to be fired he needs to be i, I don't want to hear he's been moved down to the second turkish league and protected and kept in the system the man needs to go right you can't say that live on tv in front of however many people are watching and in an most empty, of france in an empty stadium as well where we can all hear what you're saying i'm sorry you can't do it you're gone you're sacked and the FA protects officiators in this country as well. And I know it will happen over there as well. We need to start pointing fingers and saying, you made the wrong decision. Mm. And we really need to look at, into why you did that. Is it because we're not educating you enough? Is it because you're not responsive to education? Is it because you're too old guard and you're not, you're not willing to have the new wave of football? Is it because you are in fact a racist? There needs to be extensive vetting on MASH officials because it's getting out of hand. And I mean, this, I think this is the real thing that that threw up is the fact that that wasn't in an empty stadium. How many times has that happened in a crowded stadium and it's gone unnoticed? Probably way more than we'd care exactly. to admit. And that's the fear. That is the fear. And I think that's where we're at now where it's happened and we just got to find the new ground and this stuff cannot be in the game. Everyone's been saying it for years. There's no room for it. So no, just, yeah, I completely agree. Right. Anyway, we'll get back to the football. <laughs> We've had our passionate rant about it, and I knew there would be one today. But in other news, Palace smashed West Brom, Ian. Oh, you don't need to tell me. My mum was uh, very excited. So I was like, oh, yeah, mum, it's much easier, you know, when they score for you, only have 10 men. She's like, oh, yeah, well, at least we won. I was like, well, I won as well. So what do you want about? <sighs> the thing is, Palace, again, Palace are a very inconsistent side. They are. You know, you're very hard to predict. 5-1 between Palace and West Brom was not a scoreline I was anticipating, but I was very pleased to see. In terms of one, there was the first brace the weekend. I was like, thank baby Jesus, there's going to be one this week. Uh, and two, West Brom just showed by the relegation fodder, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, capricious, volatile, contentious, stupid red card. Mm. Gallagher's goal, he did it again. I criticised him last week because he didn't mean to do it, and he did exactly the same goal this week, but he did it better. So... Damn Wait, you, that, damn you, Conor Gallagher. And it was from the exact same setup as well. Yeah. But, you know, it is what it is. Lovely goal, but Palace ran riot. They, they did, they ran riot. I, I think, for me, on the West Brom side, the only redeeming factor was Furlong. Like, the fact that, you know, he messed up and the amount of passion he put into being like, I need to get my team back into this. Oh, yeah. And the team responding to that was great. But Palace... Well, this is why I kept back in Palace in the first few weeks because I knew they could do this. And they're like, no, nah, we're not going to do it for a good month or so. And then they come back and do it. It's just, I don't know, huge amount of inconsistency from them. Isn't there some sort of like long standing crazy stat that Palace don't win without Z Wilfred Zaha on the pitch? I think, I, think there is, I think there is a very long standing stat that yeah. without Zaha, they don't have the self belief because obviously he is their, I guess, their progeny, really. Yeah. Um, well, obviously, viewers, um, this week, if you've seen the title, you'll know that we are doing a Wilfred Zaha brace showcase. He scored two absolutely wonderful goals in this game. A, a finesse shot from the inside of the box, which was unsavable, and then stole one, I would say, off Aze, or Easy, however, however it is pronounced, but in a very Harry Kane falling fashion. You know when Kane scores some of those goals where he falls and he nicks it and it goes in? Zaha yeah. did it, and I was like, fair You're enough. Doing it's a really good finish. That's a misery compiler. Uh, compiler. But what I will say is fair play to a very, very average, long forgotten, downtrodden player in Christian Benteke for also getting a brace. 
I was asked by a friend, he said, are you not going to do a Ben Teke brace? I was like, hell no, because his career is really bad. <laughs> really, a lot of hype and oh, no delivery. Poor man. Whereas poor. Zaha has been relatively loyal journeyman and yeah. he has this flair about him, Zaha, doesn't he? You know that on his day, he's absolutely unplayable. And he has the, the, the he has the skill moves. He has the the dribbling ability. He can change a game, and yeah. you know he's a he's a big fish in a small pond. That's just the reality about Zaha. So he was much more enticing for me to reel in, as it were. But again, uh, very good from Palace. I think they can be excellent on their day. Indeed, solid. But other than that, I don't have very much to say about it. They absolutely smashed West Brom, and I expect West Brom to be smashed because I think they're getting relegated. And it's it's looking that way. I think you know we've, we've said I say it each week: Fulham, Sheffield United, and West Brom are going down. And you know, some years you you can see clear cut on paper on a quality basis. You go, well, they're the three poorest teams; they're going down. These are the three poorest teams, and I think they're going down. But sometimes you get someone who underperforms or whatever, but everyone seems to be performing at least to their level in the bottom half of the table. And because of that, it's, well, bye, bye, bye. Ian, this one you do want to talk about, so I'll, I'll let you start, mate. I've put viewers just as a start. I put, oh, for the Palace one, I put, that's the way Zaha Zaha, and that will be the name <laughs> of the episode. Um, I put sensational because, you know, well, Ian, take it away. What, what can I say? My heart was in my mouth. I, weeks up to this, I was saying it before the Chelsea game. I didn't want the Arsenal game to happen. As we've spoken, it could, it's an insular incident. Those game, the derby is its own beast. And I was like, this is where Spurs are going to mess it up. But my God, has Mourinho drilled them. Everything is inch perfect. The amount of space they're pulling into, Kane's movement, Son's movement, they're just pulling teams apart. I know there's a lot to be said about Arsenal, but the conviction of the team, the willingness to keep going forwards and finishing a game off, I haven't felt that comfortable going towards an end of the game. Yeah, I think Arsenal started to pick it up at points, but there was a comfortability. Spurs were like, well, if they do get one, we're just going to go back up the other end and finish this again. Like There was that level of maturity and comfortability in the team. And then as soon as Son and Kane get on the ball, you know what's happening. There is... I love logging in and seeing that that is what it is. One goal for Kane, one goal for Son. One assist for Son, one assist for Kane. It's the most beautiful partnership in the Premier League right now. Definitely. There's a lot of interesting things I have to say about Spurs. And someone this weekend accused me of being a, a closet Spurs fan, Spurs fan because I always will put hey, the occasional... I will always put the occasional tweet out of like, Harry Kane still a, still a one-season wonder just to rile up all those Harry Kane haters. <laughs> I like Spurs as a neutral. If if yeah. if if I were, like I've said multiple times, if I were to see anyone win the Premier League other than Man United, I would wouldn't mind if it was Spurs. I wouldn't like it. Do you know, I wouldn't be like, oh my god, yes. I think you have tremendous players. You've always had the ability there. I think Mourinho pulled off a classic Mourinho match where he suckered Arsenal in and mm. smashed him on the break. And yeah, it does take individual brilliance. But guess what? Son is individually brilliant. Harry Kane is individually brilliant. And their relationship, their partnership is so good. It's so... Here's something. I was looking into some stats and I was yeah. doing this while I was sitting on the loo, listeners, because I'm a loser. 
that's the reality. I sit on Lou and I was thinking, how many goals do Harry Kane and Human Song have to team up to score to beat the season combination goal scoring record and the all time? Now, Ian, do you know the answer? Because I do, because I've done the extensive research. Well, I knew you've done the extensive research. I honestly... And that involved me going through each individual match day and seeing how many goals they've combined for with oh, I know you time stamps. I know you time in the bathroom, mate. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly, I don't even know where to begin. I can't even think of the partnerships that kind of rival it. Well, that's you being an absolute clown, Ian, because we did speak about how Callum Wilson was part of the individual combination goal-scoring record in the Premier League when we did this brace showcase. Him and Ryan Fraser have 12 in the Premier League. That's the record. If Kane and Son, this season, and I'm talking about single-season listeners, they team up for three more goals, they will break that record. I'm going to give you some... I'm going to... Hang on. The Mystic Ball. The Mystic Ball. Hang on. Is it going to happen... Fuck yes, it's going to happen. Definitely. There's no way it doesn't happen unless one of them gets horrifically injured, which obviously Touchwood, yeah. we hope, doesn't happen. Yeah, touch that fast. There is also the all-time com- uh, goal combination record as well, which is held by Frank Lampard and Didier Drogba on 36 goals. Hyun Son and Harry Kane are on 31 after that game. If they combine for just six more goals, they will be the all-time combination pairing in the Premier League for uh, for a goal combination. So that's how that's, that's how magnetic both of them have been this season. It's incredible. I know. It's, so Kane is is part of the records, mate. The record setters, and also here is another one, Ian, because I've just been on it this week because I watch a lot of football content. I watch a lot of breakdowns. I watch a lot of statisticians yeah. and stuff. There is one player in history who has the most goals and assists in a single season as in like for a total goal contribution stat that player is Thierry Henry with 24 goals and 20 assists Harry Kane currently has 10 assists and 8 goals after 11 games played players can have drop-offs players can get injured but at the moment on his XG and XG listeners is predicted a return for assists and goals this season based on stats, trajectory, if form continues, Harry Kane should comfortably beat that goal-scoring record, uh, that that individual contribution record. Honestly, the fact that he took the Derby record this weekend, if he knocks out Thierry Henry as well, year made. That is a Harry Kane is still a one-season wonder, as everyone says repeatedly. And do you know what? It is funny because everyone in the Premier League has suddenly gone, God, don't I wish I had Harry Kane or Human Son in my team? Oh, you wish, and you can't have them. No, yeah. hey, it is what it is. I, I think that I always thought that if Spurs didn't get success in the next couple of years, that Kane would go. Yeah. Because I think, yeah, he loves Spurs, but he probably wants to win a trophy in his career. I think you're going to win one. I've said it multiple times. I think you're going to win one under Mourinho. He's a serial winner. And the one thing that he's pumped into those Spurred lads that Ancelotti can't get into the Evertonian boys is mentality wins games. If you are self-assured in your defensive capabilities, if you can stay compact, if you're happy to soak up pressure to get two goals and soak up pressure for 45 minutes and get three points and it not be glitz and glamour, it not be 5-1 to you in the derby, you will... It's short-term pain because it's not attractive football. I agree with what the pundit said. 
on Saturday. It isn't attractive, but it's short-term pain for long-term gain. And believe me, you guys have been waiting a long time to win a trophy. I think you could. Do, I think you're all okay with playing shit house three football for one season and winning something. I'm sure. Uh, Ian, tell me if I'm wrong. Oh, you're not wrong. <laughs> so you know, I'm sure you're happy to go. Yeah, we'll soak it up. We'll soak it up every we'll, game. We'll soak it up against Stoke Newington from down the road, which are at amateur yeah. level. As long as we get the three points, it's, it's purely on the basis of the conviction. If this was the Spurs team of yesteryear soaking up this pressure. I would be nothing but a wreck. If you think I can get a word out on this podcast, you're wrong. <laughs> the fact that there's conviction and there's a mentality there, I'm like, soak it. We'll take it. We'll accept it. And it seems to be spreading with the Spurs women team also getting their first win of the season. So I will take that. Thank you very much, Alex Morgan, for finally scoring as well. Yeah, struggling to adjust, wasn't she? Yeah, it wasn't going well for her, but finally got a penalty. Put that one away. Hopefully, we'll see more from her. Oh, penalties. She just <laughs> Berto Soldado, 2.0, scored eight penalties for Spurs, one in open play, and then we never saw him again. No, she's, a, a she's, an, she's an incredibly talented footballer, and you know, we all take time to adjust to the weather conditions and that over this side of the pond. However, we have to talk about the, the actual goals in the game itself. Yes, it was unattractive Mourinho football, but Son's goal was... You can't give him that much space. I th- don't you think it's funny what? that Thomas Party, like everyone's like, oh, Party controls the midfield, and then he's off going, oh, oh, oh I need to come off because I'm injured, and then Spurs run through and score while he's on the side of the pitch. You see Arteta push him. Yeah. You see Arteta push him back on. Arteta's like, go. God, oh, man, it's you know, Son is going to run from one box to the other with no worries. So you've got to clamp down on him every single time. You don't give him time and you don't give him space. But I think this is what I was saying earlier, is the amount of space Spurs is creating is what is being drilled so hard. Because it doesn't have to be Son in the space because the Celso can t- soak it up. Kane can take it. Anyone can take that space and they seem to know what they're doing. And that is what it's great to see. So at the end of the day, if you can't give Spurs any space... There almost seems to be like this psychic connection between Harry Kane and Son. Like he knows, they both know where they're going to make the run. They must spend so much to get time together in the training ground. It, Kane passes that ball without even knowing Son's there. Yeah, same on uh, Kane's goal itself. Son just looks like it's his, and he's like, "No, I know Kane's going to be down my side." Kane's fi- Kane's finish is absolutely filth as well. You both of them, both of them were class goals, yeah. great counter-attacking goals. And as soon as you got the second goal, I was like, "It's done. It is done." Because Spurs are just going to shut up shop in the second sure. half, and that's what you did. You know, and I if know. you've got another one, so be it. But your counter-attacks at the moment are so lethal. City couldn't cope with them. Arsenal couldn't cope with them. Chelsea and you nullified each other because Lampard and Mourinho both set up to yeah, nullify each other. Is. It happens. But I, you know, you said on this on this podcast a couple of weeks ago you were worried about the Arsenal game. I said to you, I was never worried about the Arsenal game for you. I thought you were going to comfortably beat Arsenal, which you did. It was the Spurs game which was the worry, and that was the one where you went to a draw. You've got to carry on. You're top of the league. I don't care what Liverpool fans have to say. Oh, joint top, joint no. You don't have the goal difference. You are top of the league. You're top of the league. They don't have the goal difference. It's not even a contest. They've got to go out and they've got to start smashing kids if they want to get in front of you. Because this, at the end of the season, doesn't matter if if you're joint top. Because if you don't have the better goal difference, you've not won the league. So you are top. And don't let anyone tell you you're bloody not top. Because Liverpool fans are becoming unbearable, as I've said multiple times. That they are. We won 4-0 against Wolves. Well, darly fucking dar. Well done, you. And speaking of winning 4 0, 
against Wolves. Actually, no. I have to talk about the punditry on Sky on this Spurs game because it, it annoyed right. me. They had Alex Scott on there. They had uh, Sunes on there. Um, and they had Jamie Redknapp on there. All of them. All of them. And I rate Alex Scott as a pundit. I think she's great. All of them were sagging Spurs off for the way they played. All of them. I get Alex Scott doing it. She's an Arsenal fan. You're going to be biased, right? Redknapp used to play for bloody Tottenham. He's like, oh, it's unattractive football. You can't imagine that any footballer's enjoying playing that playing in that team at the moment. I think Sorry, they are. They want to top. win. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think they care. I don't, he was talking about Stephen Bergwine, how Bergwine probably feels underutilised because he's actually an attacking winger and that he's not getting any of the ball and the system's built around Harry Kane and Son. Well, guess what? Mourinho doesn't care because he's not about the individual player. He's about the team. Mm -hmm. And who can he trust? Who's consistently scored for him throughout his time there? Harry Kane gives it all. Hyunmin Son always scores. He's so lethal in the box. And Bergwijn's had a couple of good, uh, good games, but the system has to benefit Mourinho. First and foremost, that's the way he's going to see it. And if you can't fit into that system, then you just have to, you know, adapt or, or die, effectively, in terms of your, your relevance in the but team. Yeah, that's what he's building, for sure. And I just, the coverage, they spent like 10 minutes talking about what was wrong with Spurs, why Spurs shouldn't play this way, how it's unattractive anti-football crap. And yeah, it is anti-football, but it can get results. How about the pundits on Sky, you talk about the fact that Arsenal have lost four Premier League games on the bounce. Four. Well, I mean, it was summarised in the game because apparently Arsenal are allowed to perform back passes. There was a back pass in the game. I thought there was Tobias passed it back to Leno. I completely agree. You don't see Mourinho's reaction as well. He was like, yeah, great decision, everyone. That's that, clearly a back pass. It was a back pass. It was 100%. And he tried to say, he tried to say it was a deflection, didn't he? Yeah. Oh, defensive. No. You, no, you you're turning to go insane. That's what happens. That's what happens when Mourinho gets in players' heads. He rattles them and they think, we, sure. can't, we can't give the ball up because if we do, Tottenham will score a third. And lo and behold, you, you, he played it perfectly. He, he, he schooled Arteta in, in every which way. I think, speaking about Arsenal, and do you know what? Maybe I'm a hypocrite because we have just spent the entire time talking about Spurs and we haven't spoken about Arsenal. And the reality is that Arsenal are a shambles at the moment. I was going to say, what, what is there much to say? I got, I got served a TikTok the other day and it was literally every player in their team just poorly performing. I was like, that's, that's a summary of how every Arsenal fan must feel. Like, Aubameyang gets on the ball, skies it. No, Shaka's on the ball, falls over. It's like, what are you watching? I know, they I are uninspired. So, and, I, and they did a little bit, they did attempt it towards the end of the second half to come for Spurs. Well, at the beginning of the second half, they did come for us a little bit, but we were just there for it and we soaked it and it was fine. But Oh, don't get me wrong. Arsenal, I don't think played very badly in this game. I think they've played badly oh. in the last couple of weeks. Indeed. They wanted to contest this derby. They wanted to win it. And that's why we call it a bubble incident, an isolated incident, because derbies have this magic about them. doesn't matter if you're 16th and the other team's first. Anything goes. Arsenal wanted to win it, but you guys were just so compact, they couldn't break you down. They, and Arteta knew it at the end of the game, his post-match. He said, when you defend that well, there's nothing you can do. Yeah. It's, it's true. And you, your defensive line is set up perfectly. The reason you put Dyer in the middle is because he's the worst centre-back. And he's, he's quick as well, which benefits him. 
All he has to do is head the ball out. That's what he's there to do. Head the ball out or kick it out. He doesn't have to dribble on the ball. He doesn't have to dictate passes from the back. He doesn't even have to be involved in the play out from the back because all that happens is the two other centre-backs in that back three step forward and pass it back and forth between each other because they are much more comfortable on the ball. Then they play it out to your attacking full-backs and lo and behold, it's up the pitch. All Dyer has to do is go just head the ball when you can. And I've been critical of Eric Dyer centre-back, but the commentators spoke about this in the game, they said Dyer seems to have finally decided that's what he's going to be. He wants to be a centre-back. He doesn't want to play CDM. He doesn't want to do passing range. He doesn't want to do dictating play. He doesn't want to do hold-up play. He's just going to do that because it benefits the team. Great. What we want to see. Team players all round. That's, that's what we're building. And, you know, I've given Arsenal a free pass this week because I could have been much more critical. You, you, you guys really should be sacking Arteta, in my no, opinion. I think the fact that we're unwilling to talk about it just shows you how uninspiring that football is. It's not even worth going in at because it's just like, well, there's just nothing there. You're not trying. Arsenal, when they beat us, went five points ahead of us, Ian. Yeah. We are now six points ahead of them. How? It's just madness. Just utter madness. How? I don't know. Yeah. And we've got a game in hand. And it's not about United. It's the fact that they've managed to capitulate such a lead. The thing is, if they'd won even, if they'd won even two of their last games, they'd be in the top 10. They just they keep losing. And now I'm starting to think, well, if they lose next week, surely it's got to be the week Arteta goes. But because he won him, uh, won him an FA Cup, I, I guess there's a grace That's period. Around. Yeah. Anyway, let's... Talk about the last three games. Liverpool, mad respect. Well done. Yeah, you had a played. you had an incredibly makeshift backline. You continue to play under the ethos and philosophy that Klopp wants you to. Yeah, the Anfield faithful were back in, singing You'll Never Walk Alone. I'm sure it was incredibly uplifting for me. It was torturous, but I did watch hoping you would lose, and you didn't. I watched the third goal, and then I was like, okay, I'm out. Peace. Yeah, I mean... You, I, just, I think at this point, you just really can't fault Liverpool. Like, especially Salah, pouncing on a, one mistake instantly. You just can't give him that time. You can't give him that space. You can't give him that opportunity. He's in, done, job done. And that's what Liverpool live on, is just that ability to go, boom, job done. And that's, again, like we were saying about Chelsea, it's scary at times because it is oh, just, yeah. It oh, is. yeah, that's another one. What's next? Yeah, that's done as well. It's, it it's is robotic. It's clinical. Yeah. And I, I put a tweet out when the goal went in. I went, Connor Cody's suffering from that FIFA input delay. I feel you, brother. Because he, why? Why does he try and touch it down? What is he thinking? Oh. Yeah, everyone ra raves about Connor Cody, how he should be playing for England. And I've seen him play incredibly well defensively in the past. With Salah and Mane ready to press you as soon as you receive the ball, you can't take a touch in the box yeah. like that. Yeah. You, I'm sorry, Salah's finish is great. Cody is the reason that Wolves went down 1-0 because... Yeah. Simpler. As and you're the captain, and as soon as the captain makes a mistake like that, it reflects on the entirety of the team. And yeah. then, then of course, Wolves, Wolves were competitive. I think for the first half, they they definitely got involved, and there was that contentious penalty that was definitely not a penalty and rightfully not awarded. And then you know Liverpool did what they did best; they got the second, and it killed the game. Uh, Genie Wijnaldum's goal was class. Yeah, really, but this, really this is, you know, they're moving into that space that Man City should be in because they need the amount of goals. That's what's going to take them up the table. So they're not, you know, leaning back at 2 0. They're going, next one, next one, next one. And I think that's what we're seeing lacking at Man City, but Liverpool are doing so well. 
I think Liverpool as well have been in front for so long with pressure on them to lose that they're now used to being in front. I think a lot yeah. of teams sometimes suffer from knowing that another team has dropped points and thus they fail to gain points because they're like, well, if we win today, we're three points ahead. Whereas Liverpool already have the mentality and I think that's what Mourinho's revolutionised in Spurs. It's like, it doesn't matter what the other result is, you have to keep grinding out results. Liverpool are definitely going to be one first or second this season, in my opinion. Even, yeah. even without Van Dijk and Joe Gomez, they're performing very well. And their new keeper, phenomenal. Oh, he had a great game. Was it Keller? I think it was Keller, wasn't it? He had yeah, a, yeah. yeah, I think he had a, yeah, an absolutely a great game for them. He made some good uh, quality saves. And, it, it, you know, with the bad blood towards Adrian that is in their yeah. fan base, I think probably needed if Alisson can't play which seems to be becoming more of a regular occurrence. Yeah. But who knows? This is a crazy season yet. Liverpool could still lose games. We'll see, especially if, like, I would really like to see now that Chelsea have gelled, Chelsea and Liverpool play each other because I think that's going to be a yeah, very interesting game. Yeah, I want to see that for game. sure. And also, you've got a very pivotal game in a couple of weeks' time. I think you're playing Liverpool in about three weeks. Yeah, I don't think it's far off for us. Mourinho is going to want to do everything to win that game. And yeah. for obvious reasons, because again, here's a crazy prediction for you. If you play, when you play him at Anfield, you're going to beat him. I know Spurs are going to beat him at Anfield. I know it because Mourinho's going to um, going to be like that's their weakness. If you if you beat their Anfield record, they are vulnerable. Yeah, that someone's got to do it to 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 it. get their title talents out, out, off off the table. Yeah. But. Someone said to me it was a weekend for bangers, and it was. Pogba scored a banger. Son scored a banger. Genie Wijnaldum scored a banger. And that's why I put Genie in a bottle, because he uncorked it and lashed it into the top right-hand oh, corner. Great goal. Even Joel Matip, their very, very average centre-back, yeah. scored. Mane scored. Run the mill for Liverpool. Wolves looked outclassed. And maybe Wolves yeah. are sitting, slipping more into that mentality of... We did have lofty ambitions and we were competitive for a couple of years, but the reality is that we're going to have to sell. We had to sell Yota to yeah. Liverpool because at the end of the day, we still need money. And because of that, maybe we're going to have to be a mid-table club for a couple of years and uh, creatively source players through youth systems and prospects and loans and, and cheap buys and nurturing players. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think Wolves are still a very good side, but they they got tore up. They got tore a new one. Let's just let's just let's be real. Liverpool absolutely smashed them, and fair play to Liverpool. And my next talking point, Ian, is everybody hates Chris. Now, listeners, obviously, people don't really hate Chris Wilder. I only put that because one, it's funny because Jurgen Klopp called him out, and two. <laughs> because of the meme that went round at the end of the game. Obviously, Sheffield United are desperate for points. And let's be real at this yeah. point. Even they know they're going down and it's only been 11 game weeks. But there was a, f a fantastic image of Chris Wilder nervously watching Jamie Vardy on the edge of the box in the 90th minute. Then his head in his hands. <laughs> it just isn't this man's year, it is. is it? I mean, and Vardy just does what Vardy does. You know, the, the first shot pinging off the post and he just keeps going. He's always there. Um, I don't understand the corner flag break. I don't know what's oh. going on. I think this is getting blown out of proportion. What you've got to understand is we did a brace showcase on Jamie Vardy, Ian. So we yeah. know that he is a long-time Sheffield Wednesday mm. fan. Yeah. And because of that, he was very he was very impassioned. He's a childhood and probably still to this day a Sheffield Wednesday fan. 
and he's just scored against Sheffield Wednesday's biggest rivals yeah. to lose, to win the game. I'm, and he's just passionate. It's, doesn't, it's not that the flag is LGBT. I know we've criticised Jamie Vardy in the past for being slightly intolerant in terms yeah. of certain walks of life and being slightly a, a mixed bag. I saw that he, he sent out a signed LGBT corner flag replacement to the, um, like uh, a charity group saying, uh, you know, I, this could, it completely wasn't about that. Yeah. I'm all for the LGBT movement. Uh, it's just a personal rivalry from when, when I was a child. And I think, you know, you can take that on face value. You know that to be factually true. You know yeah. he was a Sheffield, United fan, uh, Sheffield Wednesday fan and you know that he played for them for a long time. So, of course... I'm the living proof. I despise Man City and Arsenal uh, and Liverpool. If I, yeah. if I scored against any of them, I would smash the corner flag. I'd smash the corner flag over the fucking cop end. I'd, just, I'd stand there and scream at them and then I'd get a red card. Yeah. But, yeah, that's just the way. <laughs> that's the modern game. And it's good. It's good yeah. to see some passion. He's a 33-year-old man and he's absolutely pumped that he scored against one of his childhood rival clubs and rightfully so mm. you know we applaud players we applaud players in for saying uh, for holding their hands up when they score against their old club not celebrating we do that's yeah. a modern thing in the game and i respect it when you score against a rival of your childhood club who you've dreamed about playing for or scoring against your entire life you're allowed to be pumped up and smash the corner. And I mean, another great example this weekend was the Bamford goal. We didn't really elaborate on it, but Chelsea kept him under their foot for so long. Vindication. Indeed. Vindication. I don't know what the celebration was about, but vindication. It was, indeed. Zed, whatever he did it for. I don't really understand that, but you do you, Patrick. I was chuffed for you. I was like, yes. I even tweeted out. I said, I said, Arsenal lose to Spurs. And then Bamford scores against Chelsea. It, this is why people love football. Yeah, man, it's the way it goes. It's beautiful to see. Look, it's let's just be completely real. Uh, Leicester look very uninspired still, but of course, Sheffield are so bad, it was an ed- eventually going to come. It took to the 90th minute. And, you know, Leicester have always relied on Jamie Vardy, and he continues to have a party. Hey. But I'm telling you now, Sheffield United are done out here they gone they're, they're done. but I mean another team I feel for so much and I continue to call them the most unluckiest team in the league remains Brighton oh Brighton not catch a break it wasn't a pen it was There's not, not a, a penalty it's it's not was it was a free kick and you know what oh. if War Prowse had curled it into the top corner from there fair play I'd say that's the right decision I, I've got yeah. my Brighton friend messaging me after every game he said Harry Kane scored a dodgy penalty against us even though I think it was a penalty yeah he was like, um, we're the unluckiest team. He was like, we've had one penalty after the full-time whistle. That was with us. He said, yeah. we've had one penalty that wasn't even in the bloody box. <laughs> they must I feel mean, so hard done by. have some weird quota. Because obviously they used up all their good luck in the Liverpool game to keep that one down. And then they're like, well, now here comes the bad luck. So let's just soak it up and live for it. I feel so much for Brighton. They look good. They look strong. Southampton look good. I think they've dropped off a little bit from how they were performing before. But they still look like a strong side. If anything, that game was a draw to me. But Brighton just gets it. It was a draw to me. I don't think Brighton played poorly at all. Uh, I think, you know, it was definitely a penalty. Walprouse gave away a penalty and they took it well. Welbeck looked like he was up for it again, but couldn't quite get the finish. I think, obviously, Vestergaard is lethal in the box because of his height. He's so tall. Hmm. He towers above other defenders. 
Um, one-one would have been a fair scoreline to me. I put uh, Ings pings because it's the only thing I could think of. But I'm going to be real with you, listeners. The penalty that Southampton were awarded was outside the box. Contact yeah. is initiated outside the box, and the player falls into the box. That's not a penalty for me. Oh. If contact is initiated on the line, fine. Nor is it a VAR decision. It's not an out-and-out need to look at that incident. Well, the thing is, right, just just to clarify something, yeah. he initially awards a free kick, not a penalty. Yeah. He goes free kick. Then they check it and convert it to a penalty. I, I was under the assumption that that is not the way that VAR, VAR is supposed not, to operate. Because... And this, this goes systemically back to the checking if the ball went out of play. The AR is stepping its way in to situations where it's not supposed to be needed. This clear and obvious stuff is absolute crap. You need to have set parameters on what you're checking. You are checking red cards. You are checking if it's a penalty in the box and you are checking if it is offside. Everything else, stop. Because you're causing the game to get more and more confusing and confounding each time you correct a decision where you're like well hang on i thought the ar wasn't for that yeah it's a bizarre choice and obviously again it goes against brighton it's just the way their season very going. unlucky look it's a coastal derby i guess in a way so for, for them it's a big three points indeed but as we've said multiple times ian if brighton continue to play the way they've played they will stay up no worries oh, no drama that, and when you've got one. teams playing as bad as fulham sheffield and west brom you can play even worse than that and you probably still well, stay up. I, I think my thing for Brighton is i feel like they're on a form that is like top 10 teams like top flight like they're on a form that should be of that level they could couple be couple of quality like, players yeah couple of quality players brighton a different team that's all they i'm could, saying i mean like they're almost on the edge of looking at european football at this point but they just can't catch a break yeah I and agree. i feel for them i do feel for them that's the football for the weekend indeed and you're about to come compound the brighton misery by uh, highlighting one of their rival stars i am we're not going to speak about the Champions League because it's dead to me. Okay, so uh, we'll talk about that next week when I'm over it. But uh, effectively, fuck the Champions League. I never wanted to be in it anyway. So the Bray Show case this what week. What's the thing about football being too fickle? You were saying. Yeah, uh, compl- uh, I'm, I'm, I'm the ficklest <laughs> man in the game. I'm a hypocrite. I'm a self-proclaimed uh, hypocrite. There's just that's just that's just me in a nutshell. Yeah. The Bray Show case this week is Wilfred Zaha. Ian. It's someone that I do have a little bit of familiarity with, as you'll know. At the start of the season, listeners, Ian and I had a very pointed talk about why I was not willing to do a brace showcase on Wilfred Zaha as the first this season, mainly because he scored it against Manchester United, and I wasn't bloody having it. Yeah, but lo and behold, what goes around comes around, and we are here again, see? And so I knew, I knew that Wilfred had another brace in him, you see. So here we are. Zaha is a Crystal Palace boy through and through. If, if, through and through. Through and through. If you don't know anything about his history, his ethnic origin is he is half English, half Ivorian, I believe is the correct term. He's born in the Ivory Coast. And that is the team that he represents at a national, international level. But we'll talk about that a little bit more because he actually played for another national team before he made the, the com- uh, conversion over at a later date. However... Wilfred Zaha has played at Crystal Palace pretty much his entire career, other than two blips. He started in their youth academy in 2004 to 2006, and that's when he then broke into the first team. And I put uh, Palace's Prince or Prince's Palace because 
that's you know where he was born he's he is the prodigal son he is now the king there and he was once a prince because well zaha is probably other than what ian wright and alan pardew he's probably the most talented footballer they've ever seen i think crystal palace they had a, they had a striker maybe five six years ago that was a quite plain i have to pull that one out but you oh, can see. i can't think of that anyway he is the flair player in a very otherwise very bog standard and he joined the uh, the palace academy at the age of 12 playing slightly longer for them before that before he was officially registered so he joined when they were in the championship and between 2010 and i think it was 2013 he made 110 appearances in the championship and then he scored 12 goals does that shock you ian at championship level not particularly someone who's so a lot of people right now and he's not incredibly prolific now but and i don't mean to be offensive to the championship but usually you expect people to be a little bit more prolific in the championship yeah. than they are in the premier league so 12 goals in 110 isn't fantastic however he did help them secure promotion to the premier league which is comes slightly later down the line. Now, there's two narratives that intertwine here. One, which is a rebirth, a resurgence of Crystal Palace. Another, which is the declining years of Alex Ferguson. And I don't say declining in a bad way, but essentially he was having health issues. He promised his wife that he would leave Manchester United. So we had our last final season with him. Uh, we won the Premier League, he got his own back on City, he gave him the fingers and he said, right, adios, I'll see you later. But before I go, there is one, one, one player I must buy before I leave this club. <laughs> and that is Wilfred Zaha. So on the 25th of January, we bought Wilfred Zaha in Fergie's last season. We bought him for £10 million, eventually rising to £15 million in performance-related add-ons for five-and-a-half-year contract. He was then immediately loaned back to his Crystal Palace because they were on they were mounting a promotion challenge, and that was the only way they would agree to sell him. So we bought him, and he was the first he was the last ever signing that Alex Ferguson made for Manchester United, and he never got to coach him once because David Moyes was the manager that Zaha came into. So after a couple of prolific years at Palace. Zaha got his big money move. Well, not a big money move, but got his move that he wanted to a big club where people rated him and saw him as a prospect. However, Ian, as we know historically, just because one manager rates you doesn't mean another one does. Moyes had a very difficult first season at Manchester United. As we know, it ended in his yeah. sacking for finished sixth with four games left to play where Ryan Giggs uh, took over. Wilfred Zaha and Moyes have a very complicated relationship, which is a lot of hearsay, a lot of gossip, and we don't know how much is true. However, Zaha's only comments on the matter was at the end of the season, following Moyes' sacking, Zaha said that he was never given a chance by the Scot. He contrasted his experience with that of Raheem Sterling, another young attacker who was given a chance by Liverpool after a difficult start. He also said that he was upset by false and malicious online rumours about his personal life. Ian, do you know what the rumours are about Wilfred Zaha? I can't say I'm that familiar with them, to be honest. Patrice Evra recently mentioned this on Sky Sports. Right. And Sky Sports had to apologise for it because, again, it's essentially as close to slander as you can get without actually slandering someone. 
Patrice was at the club the same time as Zaha was, but obviously he's considerably a bit older than him. Yeah. Rumour is that Wilfred Zaha was dating David Moyes' daughter. And because okay. of that, and because Moyes didn't like it, he refused to play the player, which then became a very contentious issue in the dressing room. And because of that, as we will get on to in the second, Wilfred Zaha left Man United and went back to Crystal Palace because of it. Right. This has been a long-standing issue, and it feeds into a problem that Zaha has had his entire career, which is that he feels on some level he is being persecuted, whether it be true or not. Yeah. Another issue with Zaha, not anything that he's created, and I, I, I'm going to say this now, Zaha is not responsible for any of these allegations other than the one I'm just about to say. Do you remember a couple of years ago when he came out in that post-match interview and, and claimed that the officiators were essentially being racist and were booking him because he was yeah, being persecuted and overly booked, is yeah. what he was saying. That's problematic in its well, because one, you shouldn't be coming out in a post-match interview and picking a fight with the FA. Yeah. He was, he was uh, reprimanded for his comments. However, I have seen anecdotal proof, and I can't say it's factual proof, but I can say it's anecdotal proof, that there have been occasions, in my opinion, where Zaha has been booked, and I have thought that is completely unfounded. Now, if it happens once, you think, okay. If it happens twice, you're like, yeah, coincidence. If it happens three times, you're like, yeah, maybe. But when it's five, six, seven times, you're like, they're booking this guy for nothing. They are booking him yeah. for absolutely nothing. And... I know officiators don't really like flair players and they don't want to admit it. They don't like how cocky they are. They don't like how good they are on the ball. And yes, Zaha has been known to throw himself to the ground on yep. occasion. I, I can see that. But I think, the unfortunately, I think the object truth is I think the guy has a little bit of a complex, right? And it's probably born from this insidious Manchester United lie, half-truth, whatever it may be. Yeah. And... He probably thought, I'm going to Man United. It's going to be my dream start. I'm going to break into the first team. I'm going to be prolific. I'm going to be a club legend. I'm going to be like Cantona and Beckham. People are going to be going Zaha, Zaha, because he does have that ability when he wants to be a player on his day. He's an incredibly good attacking winger. He can play on the right and the left through the middle. He's clinical. He's tricky. When he advances forward, he scares defenders. And I believe in a big team, he would do incredibly well. Mm -hmm. He's got the just the right amount of ego. Yeah. But it shows you how damaging in your formative years something like that can be to your career because it probably takes Zaha a long time to trust the manager. Yeah. It probably does. Moyes has probably ruined it. Ruined it. But again, we don't know how much of it is true. But anyway, yeah. I had to I had to speak about that because it's such a big part of Zaha's career because it's All something right. that always comes up even to this day. Like yeah. it was brought up a couple of weeks ago on Sky Sports. They were asking, why don't they think Zaha in the in the first week? They were like, Why don't you think Zaha worked at United? And Patrice ever said that. And the, and the Sky Sports comment went, Don't say that. Say that you <laughs> don't say that. They have to it's come such, out and ap apologize to I David know. Moyes. It's such an Everest thing to do as well. I know. Oh, Everest is so great. renegade. I love it. <laughs> I love it, but I also really hate awesome. it. Yeah. So so uh, anyway, right, moving on. Um he went back to uh, Palace on a half-season loan before he came to United. He only scored one goal in 16 appearances. Then, the following season, he got a half-season loan while he was at United to back to, uh, to Cardiff City, mm -hmm. which 
he sadly he's made 12 appearances didn't score any goals so sorry about that Zaha then he went back on a full year loan again to Crystal Palace from United made 16 appearances scored one goal finally Palace went Joe what we're going to stop flirting with loaning you back we're just going to buy you back we agreed we bought him for 10 up to 15 we sold him back to them for 3 million but honestly, you you guys are so good at. Wow, wow! I was going to say this. Wait, <laughs> unfortunately, I believe we've played a big factor in why Zaha has never gone anywhere else. Right. Alice believed in Zaha, and rightfully so. Yeah. He is a very as close as an icon to the uh, to for the club they have in recent years. When United sold him back, yeah, we sold him for cheap, but we agreed we would have a 25% sell-on clause. So if they sold Zaha for 100 million, we would have 25 million pound of that. That's a tough clause. I can't believe they agreed. They agreed. I guess maybe they thought he'd never be worth that. And obviously at times he's been worth quite a lot of money and he's never gone because people weren't sure, didn't buy his attitude, whatever. I think that's a big factor. So I think Palace would go, look, we'd probably sell Zaha for 60, but because United have the 25 release clause, we want to sell him for 80. Yeah, just trying to keep them figures good. Of course. And, you know, Palace want to sustain himself in the Premier League. I, I, I was a big believer that I thought they brought that Eze in to replace Zaha, but apparently not. I know Zaha was trying to push for a, a move this window. Mm. Anyway, I've put... Uh, he was the Bluebird. I put... Um, Moy's toys with Zaha's future and now we're going to do retaking the throne because he did come back to Palace and while they've not really won anything I mean we did beat them in a FA Cup final so oh, fuck you Palace and uh, Jesse Lingard did score an absolute worldie to win it yeah. when he was back being good but other than that they've been to one FA Cup final which they failed to win there's been occasions where we've beaten Palace and there's been occasions where Palace have beaten us. Zaha has beaten us and scored a brace against us and probably feels incredibly vindicated at the start of this season. And I can't be too angry about it, but I won't lie to you. It did annoy me, but the reason it annoyed me is because I, <laughs> I, I'm i like, wasted potential. We could have had Zaha. Zaha could have been our player and he could have been absolutely been. incredible and he can play on the right. And we, and we didn't take... Zaha did spend... The first half of international career, trying to play for England. Uh, Not trying to. Sorry, that's really offensive. He was playing for England. He played for England under-19s. He made two appearances. Then he played for England under-21s. He made 13 appearances and scored one goal. He played two games at senior level for England because, as we know, before Southgate took over, if you didn't play for a top-six club, it was incredibly hard to get into the England national team. Just didn't happen. It wasn't form-dependent or anything like that. He then decided, so on the 27th of November 2016, the Ivorian Football Federation confirmed that Zaha had sent correspondence to the FA to switch his international football agent from England to the Ivory Coast. In response to this development, England manager Gareth Safe indicated he would try to dissuade Zaha from changing his allegiance due to his consistent club form. Then in January, Zaha was named in the African uh, Cup of Nations squad for the Ivory Coast. So obviously he failed. Gareth failed to dissuade him. But this this yeah. came... Zaha, I remember at the time, came out and said, I will never break into the England team because I don't play for a toxic club, so I'm going to go play for the Ivory Coast instead. And I think Zaha probably would have even played for us now. I, I could have seen the argument for him to play. Would he be playing every game over Raheem Sterling? 
Probably not. But he's yeah. gone to the Ivory Coast. He plays there. He plays well. He's made 18 appearances and scored five goals. He can play across their attacking line. And like I've said before, it's about consistency. Most people want to play for a country every time they play, not just... He could end up with 70 international appearances, which is great. If he played for England, he'd probably have 20. It just comes down to what the player wants, right? I think this is something that gets overlooked so much in football because we look at them as clubs and as statistics that we forget these people, all they want to do is play football. And listen to Shearer, listen to anyone on, you know, match of the day or whatever. All they're talking about is how much they want to be back on that pitch. That's all they crave. That's all they want. Ian Wright is the same. All they want to do is play football. So, of course, you're going to pick a squad where you can play as much as possible and represent a country that you're proud of as well. Yeah, and he grew up there for the first couple of years. He was there for the first four years of his life. He probably has a great sentimental connection with it. And it's part of his heritage. I I don't condemn the decision at all. Do I regret that we don't see him turn out in England shirt? 100%. But exactly. ultimately, that's, that's, that's just wanting some nice depth on the bench for once. Yeah, but ultimately, it's the player's choice. It is the yeah. player's choice. And I've seen, I don't know if you remember, but when England played Nigeria just before the 2018 World Cup, the Nigeria fans booed Dali Ali because he chose to play for England instead of Nigeria. I think that's not fair. I think oh. it's Dali Ali's decision. He's half English. He can choose the team he wants to play for. If he wants to play for Nigeria, like Alex Awobi has chosen to do, even though he's eligible for both. That's completely his prerogative as well. You don't get to tell someone where they are from. They decide where they're from. Exactly. You know, and it, and it's, it comes back to that larger issue when, was it the, is it Trevor Noah, who's the um, South African talk show host in? Yeah, in America. In America. He was like, oh, Africa won the World Cup, really, not France. And it's like, well, hang on. How do you know that those players see themselves as African then French. Why don't they see themselves yeah. as both? Why don't they see themselves as French than African? It's their prerogative. They're, it's their life journey. You don't get to tell them. They decide. Zaha decides who he wants to play for. That's that's just the way football is. And I just think it's, a, uh, frankly, I think it's fucking disgusting when people try to tell anyone where they're from. Anyway, moving back to the Premier League. <laughs> Zaha, let's talk about his numbers. Yeah, let's hear them. Wilfred Zaha's numbers in the Premier League. So, First season in the Premier League was with Manchester United. He made no appearances, scored no goals. Shock and horror. In the following season, he made two appearances for us, no goals. Then he was in Cardiff in the Premier League on loan. He made 12 appearances, seven, seven as a substitute, zero goals. Then he had another season at United, zero goals, <laughs> zero appearances. I-, I could see why the man wanted to leave. I won't I lie to see, you. I can see. So 2014 is the year where he finally went by United. The shackles of oppression are finally lifted off me. I'm going to go and play football the way I want to play it. Back to Palace. Their first season in the Premier League. He made 31 appearances, eight as a substitute, four goals. It's it's not great. (laughs) What I do, it's not great. 2015-2016, Palace, 34 appearances, four, uh, four as a sub, two goals. So the first two years, not adapting to the Premier League well. It's not the best. <laughs> yeah, I know. But he starts to pick up a little bit. Following season, 2016, 2017, 35 appearances, one as a sub, seven goals. Yeah, getting better. Following season, his best statistically on a ratio basis, I believe, or neck and neck with the one above it. 2017, 29 appearances, nine goals. Yeah. Following season, 34 appearances, 10 goals. Okay. 
last season, which is the one I condemned him for at the start of, uh, start of this season, 38 appearances, four goals, one is a sub, not good. But Palace had a very poor, very poor. It was a poor campaign. End of season, last season, yeah. yeah, it was. This season, nine appearances, seven goals. Oh, now that is stats that are finally in his favour. That's finally vindication, right? And he's playing on form. I think we, what we have to briefly talk about with Zaha is that he has wanted to leave Palace for a while because he has yeah. felt like a big, big fish in a small pond and it hasn't been enough for him. And in reality, his numbers are probably a reflection of him not getting the service or the quality of a player around him that allows him to score that many opportunities because Palace don't historically score a lot of goals in the Premier League regardless. Yeah, and I think... I think if he continues on this form this season, I think easily next season he could be picked up by um, one of the teams who stays up or, again, the likes of maybe one of the middle ground teams from Everton to Newcastle. Like, I think that's the kind of place he might fit in a bit better. Or even Leeds. Like, Leeds give that delivery and then they need someone up top to finish and Zaha's that kind of person. I think Zaha for a long time had his heart set on Arsenal and Arsenal had their heart set on Zaha. But for the two times that Arsenal have gone in for Zaha, he's been priced out of a move. For initially, they wanted £70 million for him, which Arsenal didn't want to pay. You know how frugal Arsenal are. Mm. And then the second time he was being touted around by Palace that he could go if he wanted, but the price is £100 million. No one wanted to buy him. It's too, mu- it's too much. And yeah, I'm getting sick of small clubs now pricing players out of their moves. Right, Jack Grealish could be in a United shirt right now. He's not because they priced him out of a move. And now they're going to price him even further out of a move. And if a, if a player is loyal to you, are you rewarding them? Are you being fair to them if you yeah, price them out of the move? the opportunities that they want. We've spoken about the ramifications of the uh, 25% release clause. Whatever price he gets goes for, Crystal Palace are going to lose some money. It's not good. It's, it's not good. But anyway, that is Zaha in a nutshell. The only personal accolade he's ever won, just as a random side note, is he won Player of the Month in April 2018. Okay. The, few players have won Player of the Month, so hands yeah. off to him. Uh, or hands off to him. Hats off, off to him. Uh, it, here's his overall stats in the Premier League. In 224 appearances, he's made 43 goals and 26 assists. If you want to know something, I, I don't want to talk about United because everyone goes to be a United fan. Um, You're going to say it anyway. Go how ahead. old is Zaha? 28. Zaha's 28, and Marcus Rashford has scored more Premier League goals than him, and he's 22. Oh, is that what you're... All right, okay. No one cares about that, mate. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just saying... I'm just saying... If you stifle <laughs> kids... Wait, if you stifle... What I'm saying is if you stifle kids at a young level, their numbers are very, very harshly reflected by it. Yeah, that's true. That's Rashford's true. been able to go out, play every single week, sometimes play poorly, sometimes play whatever, but ultimately, he, look, Rashford's numbers are this, 152 appearances, 47 goals, 25 assists, and he's six years younger than Zaha. Imagine what Zaha's numbers would be if, he, if the, the incident know, at United just, hadn't happened. He just hasn't been given the opportunity that he deserves, and hopefully in the coming seasons he will. And he, here's something that goes against Marcus Rashford. If, imagine if Zaha was playing at a big club what those numbers would actually be like. Yeah, exactly. Listen, he's a diamond. He's not a diamond in the rough. He is a diamond trapped in the rough. He needs to escape. I rate Wilfred Zaha. He is a little bit egotistical, arrogant, self-serving. But I think some the best players always have to have that little oh, bit of arrogance. when you've got to be a goal scorer. The salt-based yeah. sprinkle of it, you yeah. know. But nevertheless, 
quality player. Very regretful he's not allowed to put on an England shirt anymore because he changed allegiances, but good luck to him in the future. And he's in the prime of his career, 28. Now is the time. You know, next year he's got to move. Otherwise, he's going to be at Palace's entire career. And that's his prerogative if he wants to do that because, you know, we don't have enough one-club men in football anymore. And if he wants to do that, I'm completely behind it. Right, Ian. Head-to-heads. Well, there you have it. I smashed up Ian in the Fantasy League again, lo and behold. Yeah, don't worry. I pulled in some new players. We'll see what happens next. Oh, okay. Well, now that you've told me that information, I'll go pull in some new players. Right, Ian, (laughs) it's time to mark the head-to-head results and then predict next week's game. Oh, let's do it. So, Burnley-Everton, Ian. You went 1-0 Burnley and were incorrect. I went 3-1 Everton and I was incorrect. Egg on our face. We move. Man City, well, we both back Man City, mate. I went 3 0, you went 4 1. That's a point each. Well done to us. Fair enough. West Ham, Manchester United, you didn't back United, and we won again, so thank you for that. It's 2 2, you went for. (laughs) What did I go for, Ian? 3 1. I went for 3 1, United. Favourite score. (laughs) 3 1. Never fails. Okay, I mean, it fails regularly, but in this occasion, it never fails. So it's 4-1 to me. Then I was, I was the clown next, and I, I backed uh, Chelsea Leeds 2-2, idiot. Which means no point for me, but Ian backed Chelsea at 3-2. Oh, come on, very, one more in. Come very on. close. So that's 4-2, moving into West Brom versus Crystal Palace. Uh, we both, uh, Ian backed West Brom like an idiot and was wrong. He went 1-0 West Brom and I went 2-1 Crystal Palace, which makes it 5-2 to me. Going into the Sheffield United-Leicester game, Ian backed Leicester 2-0. Oh, come on. Oh, you think that's bad, mate? Until the 90th minute, I was singing. 1-1 I went. Oh. So that's uh, 5-3. Moving into the Spurs-Arsenal game. Now, Ian went for 3-1 and gets one point, which puts yep. him up to 5-4. Five, uh, five, but Harley went for 2-0 Spurs. In absolutely delightful scenes. I hate it. this game. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was like, oh, this Mate, I need to start putting money on correct scorelines. <laughs> uh, so, anyway, that's 8-4 to me. Then we both didn't back... Liverpool and disrespected them greatly. We both went for a draw. Ian went 2-2. I went 0-0. And we both idiots. And then, well, the dark horse. Brighton-Southampton. I went 1-0 Brighton. Egg on yep. my face, leaving me on 8. Ian's on 4. Ian went 2-1 Southampton. Oh, God. Oh. Which means it's 8-7 to me. Oh, God, there was... Oh, only one more game. 8-7. Oh, yeah. It was like another close one, mate. But the, yeah. the, the score this week is... The, the overall score is now 10-2 to me. You're getting slapped up, boy. Um, you know, just taking from Man United, start slow. Oh, okay. Do you want to dig me out like that? Right. Well, look, viewers, I'm loving the head-to-head game. I won't lie to you. It's, I'm, I'm absolutely smashing it. Viewers, listeners. Scholars, now Ian, we move. We move to predicting the upcoming games of this week. Indeed. 
Oh, Friday night football's the worst. Yeah, don't be a thing. We don't need Friday night lights over here. Okay, Leeds versus West Ham. West Ham. Right, I'll go first. Fuck it. I, I, right, I'll go first. I'll go first. So, I'm thinking 2-2. Two, two. What are you thinking, Ian? 2-2. Uh, two, two. West Ham versus Leeds. I'm going to go... Oh, it's really... I don't know. 3-2 uh, Leeds. 3-2 Leeds. Yeah, well, I mean, West Ham could be on a, uh, a decline now. They're starting to get results go against them. So I could, I could, I could see that. Wolves versus Aston Villa. Well, now that um, two-one Wolves. Two-one Wolves. Yeah, I could see that. I'm going to go. I'm going to go two-one Villa. Just to just mix mirror, it up. Just mirror your scoreline. Just mix it up. I've got I've got uh, the deficit to play with. Now Newcastle West Brom, we will make a prediction, but we're not entirely sure whether the game's going to go ahead or yeah. not. I will go West. I'll go Newcastle to win two 0 if they play. I was going to back Newcastle as well. I'm going to go one nil Newcastle. One nil. Okay. Then the next game is oh, Lord above. Lord above, I just killed a man. It's the Manchester Derby. So what you want me to do here? You want me to... No, you do whatever you think is actually going to happen. You're predicting first, though. 2-1 Man United. No, no, you've backed us, you (laughs) idiot. Uh, I'm going to go 3-1 United. You love that scoreline. Yeah, because Every I think we're capable. Because I think we're capable of scoring goals, but we're capable of conceding goals. Yeah. That's just the reality. Now, here's an interesting game: Everton versus Chelsea. Everton, Chelsea. I'm going to go three-one Chelsea. Yep. Um, yeah. See, that's the scoreline I wanted to take. You know, what? I'm just going to match you. Three-one. Yeah, I think it's three-one as well. Wow. No points gained. No points lost there. Tactics, that's why. Soak up the pressure, push it back out later. It's like when you get ahead in Fantasy League. If you just copy the other person's team, you've won. (laughs) (laughs) I've won! Okay, so Southampton versus Sheffield United. Unfortunately, well, you go first on this, Ian, so you tell Uh, me. 2-0 Southampton. Yeah. More pain for Sheffield. I would completely agree with that. I'm actually going to go 3-0 Southampton. I think they're going to hammer them. Yeah, a bit of fun. Palace Spurs, you need to win this game to continue your momentum. Um, well, I think Palace are going to be on nice form considering what they did this weekend. So I'm going to I'm going to match you on the main night game. I'm going three one Spurs. Okay, I'm going four one Spurs. I think it could even be worse than that. I'd like just, to see it that. just it just depends really. Now here's a game which is going to be an absolute bloodfest. Fulham versus Liverpool. Ian, what would you like to go? Uh, 5-1 to Liverpool. Yeah, I would agree with something like that. I'm going to go 4-0 Liverpool. I don't even think they're going to concede. And then we've got Arsenal burning tough. You never know with Arsenal, do you? You never, you, you never know. Yeah, this could be... Uh, I'm going bore-bore, if I'm honest. 
Yeah, I could see that. Nil, nil on that one. Nil, nil. I'm going one nil Burnley. <sighs> Back them. I'd love it. I'd fucking love it. The scenes. <laughs> oh, I think that would. I think maybe that would sack Arteta. Oh, well, that's got to finish him off for sure. That's got to be the end of it. Leicester, Brighton. Mm, I'm going to go two-one uh, Leicester. What do you think? See, that's why I think. I think it's Brighton's game once more. But just they're just so unlucky. They just need it. But I'm going to go one-nil Leicester. One-nil Leicester. Okay. Right. And on that note, that final uh, etch of a pen, we have completed this week's podcast again. Like it's a challenge. We've finally done it, Ian. Very late. Oh, very late yeah. in the day, this one. And I will be getting off this podcast and immediately editing it now, listeners. So I hope you appreciate the hard work that goes into it. Um, when I want to be playing Cyberpunk 2077 or Assassin's <laughs> Creed, I won't be doing either of those things. I will be working hard on the grind. It's been a fantastic week, as always, of uh, footballing joy. It really has. Lots of contentious issues to talk about. Lots of shameful things that I'm frankly embarrassed about in the sport and just very angry at the world about in general. But we move on and try and progress and improve and hope that people learn from their idiotic tendencies and lessons that your pieces of shit, stop doing it. Guys, if you feel as we do, Listen to the podcast, let us know, get involved, and we'll see you next time. Much love and peace.